We've done it. Tav Shin Ayin Vav, the year 5776, is in the books. We are asked, where it's advisable, that one clears their debts. Well, debts. Hashem should give that everyone should be able to clear all their debts. If not their debts, at least any promises that one has made in the course of the year, they should see Done. to fulfill. Um, The last Shabbos of the year, literally, the last 48 hours of the year. The Shabbos, though, we read Pashat Tzavim, and the next Shabbos we'll be reading Pashat Vayelach. The Tzavim Vayelach will be separated, and Shabbos Shuvah will be Pashat Vayelach. Speak about today about the concept of Pashas Vaynetzavim for the Shabbos Mirz Hashem, and of course on Rosh Hashanah, which begins Sunday evening throughout the world. Lila Nishmas, of course, Nachum Yaakov Ben Zihirsh. Should be very difficult for his wife and his family go through their first Rosh Hashanah without him. But he be there spiritually, looking after them. Behuda used to come make Kiddush for his family every Friday night after he was in Stalik. It's written that until the neighbors complained, then he had to stop coming. But until then he used to come every week to make Kiddush for his wife and family. May he do so as well, at the very least spiritually, so that he'd be by the side of his wife and his children. Tavshanai involved was a very fulfilling year for everybody. Everybody, I'm sure, has cheshbenes to make. As we spoke last week, Chai El, we need to begin making cheshben hanefesh. For the months of the year, 12 days, the last 12 days of El, every day we count for one day. And since Shabbos, Sunday will be El, Shabbos will be Of, Tammuz, Sivan. Tomorrow we'll be doing Chedish Sivan, the month of Matan Teda. Zman Matan Teda Senu time we receive the Teda from Hashem. And throughout that month, and obviously a very beautiful month because mm. Sivan, Shavuos is a Yom Tif, which is Nami Lachem, which actually only has to do with the Jew himself. The Simcha that we have to have is within ourselves. Rabbanim are able to travel to go away for Shavuos because there's not many Shailas Shavuos. And we just rejoice. And even the institution of Bahab, which is done after Pesach and Sukkot, is not done after Shavuos, since we do not indulge. And if we do indulge, we're supposed to indulge.
Pashas Nitzavim begins with the words of Atem Nitzavim Hayyim Kulchem. Hayyim, many Mepharshim tell us, many commentaries tell us, Hayyim refers to the day. You're all standing here today before Hashem, your God. Welcome. I'm trying to call you for ages. The Torah then enumerates. First the Torah says, Kulchem, all of you. And then the Torah starts. Rashechem, Shiftechem, Ziknechem, Shetrechem. And then again the Torah says, Kol Ish Yisrael. Your leaders of your tribes, your elders, your officers. And then the Torah again says, Every man of Israel. And the Torah goes back. It says, You young children, Tapchem, Neshechem, Vigercha, Shabakera, Benecha. Children, the women, the converts who are within your camp, the woodcutters, the water drawers, everyone is standing here. And yet the Basak ceased to tell us twice a generalization. All of you. All of you. And then the Torah then goes on to enumerate each and every one of them. The Farshim tell us that Achayim HaKadosh writes that the reason the Torah enlists every one of each and every one individual because everyone here is mentioned and enlisted as a guarantor for a fellow Jew. A guarantor that the fellow Jew will indeed keep the Torah and the mitzvahs. And the Chacham tell us if you're keeping track of Sech Teshuas, keeping score at home, 39, side A, Lamed Tesamed Aleph. And the Yomara tells us, Kal Yisrael Arevim Zelazah. All the Jews are guarantors for one another. Every Jew bears a personal responsibility for his fellow Jew to keep the Torah and its commandments. Generally, you go to a bank and you want a loan. They ask for a collateral or a guarantor. Now, obviously you're coming for a loan, you don't really have the money. But, they tell the famous story of a very, very, very wealthy man who pulls up with his Rolls Royce to the bank. And he says, I'd like to borrow $5,000. Now everybody knew this man was very, very wealthy. He was a multi-billionaire. And they said, okay, $5,000, you want to borrow? No problem, $5,000. What's your guarantee? He says, here's my Rolls Royce. I want it for one month of money. How much is it going to cost me in interest? Guy calculates it, $50. He says, fine, no problem. He gives the man, the manager, the key of the Rolls Royce, and he leaves with his $5,000. He comes back a month later, and pays the $5,000 and $50. Gets back his keys. He's about to walk out, the bank manager says, excuse me, sir, I, I must know. You're a multi-billionaire. $5,000 is a joke to you. You can make a breakfast for $5,000 without knowing it. Why did you need a $5,000 loan for the month? It's a silly man. How much did you charge me for this loan? He says, $50. And what was my guarantee? The guarantee was your, your car, your Rolls Royce. So where did you put it? In the bank's garage. You put it, you parked it in the bank garage for a whole month. He says, yes. 
is if I would park my Rolls Royce in a garage for a whole month, it cost me at least three hundred fifty dollars. Here it only cost me fifty. <laughs> so I earned. I made a good deal here. For fifty dollars, I was able to park my car for a month. <laughs> so guarantors, first needs to put on a guarantee. We look at the guarantor, we look at the collateral, and we see, is it more of a value than the loan? If we know that the person borrowing the money is worth $2,000, but he's borrowing 100000 and the guy that's guaranteeing for him, that's signing for him is a multi-millionaire, so they have no problem. Of course we'll loan you the money, because it's as if we're loaning it to the multi-millionaire. If you default on the loan, the multi-millionaire will come back for it and give back the money. In other words, the guarantor, we understand, is a little bit better than the actual debtor, the actual person taking the loan. So the guarantor... He's Jew. Being a guarantor for another Jew, it's a responsibility. So all of Israel are guarantors. One of the whether it's the leaders of the tribes down to the water carriers, water drawers. Each and every Jew has the unique strength that qualifies him to be a guarantor. And the Altarebbe explains, the Jewish nation is one complete figure. It's like the human body. Compared to the human body. Each and every limb, each and every organ, each and every vein, sinew, etc. completes and complements the whole body. The head and brain are obviously superior. Whoops. The head and the brain are superior to the other body parts. But the leg holds up, supports. The legs support the body. The legs get the body around. When we say Kaddish, Kaddish, we spoke Pashtake, we say Kaddish, Kaddish, we lift up our heel. The entire body lifts up. It's not just the leg, not just the ankle, not just the wrist. The entire body, the head and heart and everything rises up. So we see the legs support the body. So each organ, sinew, vein has a mission to make the body complete. And so too, each and every Jew has the quality that only he or she can serve as a guarantor for the rest of the Jewish nation. And because of this extraordinary strength in that particular area of Jewish observance. This is also similar we see in Rosh Hashanah. We've told the story once And there are different, to say different versions of the story, it's very likely that the stories are two different stories. Of the shepherd boy that comes into the Baal Shem Tev Shul and Rosh Hashanah and sees everybody davening and shaking in fervor and praying out loud and the words are coming and flowing and tears are flowing. But the f- boy did not know how to pray. The boy never had an education, was never taught to even read the letters of the alphabet. The boy starts to think. He's a shepherd, and he deals with sheep all day long. When a sheep needs something, it bleats. Although it's bleeding, it doesn't really 
tear the heart. It's cute. It's adorable. The way it has. <laughs> and you know it needs some water. You know it needs. If you're a shepherd, you know what the what the sheep is asking for. But as he was sitting in the evening watching his flock, he heard a hungry, hungry wolf. And the hungry wolf lets out a yell, a, ya- a howl. I'm not going to imitate that, I'm sorry. Have you laughing for the rest of this year? He lets out a howl that's tear-jerking, that tears your heart. It also sets fear in the heart of the feeble. But those that are brave and don't care and not scared, it sets this tremendous awe how this animal is crying out to Hashem. And the shepherd boy, hearing this practically on a nightly basis, connects and realizes this is a way of calling out to God. And since he could not do what everyone in the shul was doing, he decided to do what the wolf does. And he started to howl in the back of the shul. And he did a pretty good imitation of the wolf, too. First time he did it, everybody jumped. They thought, who knows what was back there. But then as they realized that this little boy was howling like this, they ran to stop him. Pray that he doesn't disturb the holy Balshemtus, Phyllis, the prayers of the Balshemtus. But the Balshemtus stops the students. He stops his Talmudim and tells him, No. You don't understand, children. My dear students said, My dear Talmudim, you don't understand. This boy's howl that he just gave reached and penetrated the highest levels in heaven for the sincerity of his prayer. And therefore, he managed to nullify the worst of the decrees that we were suffering from. God forbid. Another story, Pachajah, to that was a shepherd boy as well that came into the shul only knew the letters of the olive base he could not read. He could not form words. And uh, and he turned he turned to the page where the olive base was and he says, Rebani Shalom. I don't know how to read the words. But I do know the letters. And you know, Rabbi Nishan, that every word is compiled of letters and vowels, etc. Rabbi Shalom, I want you to please do me a favor. I will say the letters one by one. And you, Rabbi Shalom, you take these letters and put them together for words. And make the words of the tefillah representing my prayers. And this, the Bashem said, the sincerity of the prayer of this boy was also that very, very strong, powerful, potent prayer that nullified the decrees in heaven. We see, therefore, each and every Jew has his position, of each and every Jew has his part and, and portion of how he is a guarantor for Klal Yisrael, for the Jewish nation. Pashas Nitzavim is always read the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah. So obviously, they've got to be connected. So the theme of Rosh Hashanah is obviously implied in Pashas Nitzavim. And by reading it in the Tera, it enables us to experience Rosh Hashanah the way it should be. And we look again at the first Psukim. 
the entire Jew nation, Jewish nation is assembled here to come into the covenant of the Almighty, with the Almighty. And the Torah enumerates everything, each and every one, and all of you. What is this covenant all about? We know if two friends are very good friends and they don't want ever their friendship to dissipate. After all, being good friends, very close friends, you get to learn everything about the other person. And sometimes some of those things are very irritating, aggravating, annoying. And they're enough to to hurt the friendship. But these two friends want to make sure that it never happens. They want to make sure that all stays good between them. So they enter into a breeze, into a covenant. This is a pact that remain loyal to each other forever. Even if something happens, if they find out something about your friend, whatever it might be, you will never judge wrongly, and you'll never say anything bad, and you'll always remain tight. Essentially, this is what Rosh Hashanah is all about. Each and every year, we don't say, we don't call it a new year, it's called Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. The head of the year implying that we are now clearing everything with a new slate. And we're making again this pact, this bris with Hashem and the Jewish people. On Rosh Hashanah, when the love of the Jew to God is so strong, as we're preparing the whole month of El with Tshuva, the Jews, every Jew of the world, the entire nation, commits themselves to God unconditionally. And obviously, if we're entering into this covenant with God, we want Him to do the same. We want Him to as well, unconditionally love us. Even if somehow, God forbid, in the course of the year we do something wrong, we deviate slightly from what we're supposed to be doing, we don't act the way we should, or we say something wrong, who knows, maybe we miss going to the mikveh in the morning one day. I mean, I can't imagine you doing anything worse than that. Hamech kulam tzadikim. We want it to be obvious that Hashem remains with us, connected in our pact. But this requires all the members of the Jewish nation. It requires us all to unite as one. Like the Pasuk says, Where is the Avach HaBabris? By Atem Nitzavim Hayim Kulchem. All of you are together in Nitzavim. Men, women, children, elders, converts. Everyone. As we say in the beginning of Davening Harina Mikabal Alai Mitzah we show God that we are united, we are one, and therefore we ask God to be one with us. So too on Rosh Hashanah. We see to it that we put all our differences aside. And we say, God new slate new slate for our fellow man and new slate for us Moshe says to them he addresses the Jewish nation he says not only Jews that are here every single generation hereafter 
as Rashi explains, is also taking on this very oath. How do you take on an oath? How do you make a covenant with somebody who was never born? Somebody who physically does not exist. Even converts, they're going to convert later to Judaism. They're right now not responsible. According to one explanation, every soul that was ever to come about in the Jewish nation, ever, ever in the future, whether they become converts or they're born Jews or anything else, was at this time. As similar as they were to Mount Terah. Their bodies were, but the Neshamas were. Then there's others that say, no. When a person passes away from this world, we say that the person looks in essence that he is dead, his body is no longer here, the Neshama is where it belongs as well. However, if his children are living his legacy, continuing his way, they are living the lifestyle he lived. Afu b'chayim, he's also alive. So the future generations we're talking to, we're talking about here, were present at this covenant. Those are different commentaries that tell us how this works. Rashi doesn't accept any of those. He doesn't offer anything. Rashi doesn't explain it at all, as a matter of fact. So if Rashi's not explaining it, then he takes it for granted that Bechamash the Mikra understands it. That it's a cleared shot, it's a, it's a slam dunk, as we call it in America. Rashi says, you talk about God? God's unlimited. God exists and coexists at the same second with now, with the past, the present, and the future. All at once. So therefore, to God this is not an issue. To God this is not a situation here God knows exactly what's going on and that God knows not only what today is going on what tomorrow is going to happen and what the next day will happen and therefore when we're talking to God we know that God has everything under control So whether it be a Jew that's born, whether it be a convert, all the same, all similar, in front of the light, the, light, the eyes of God. And finally, towards the end of the Pasha, and you return to Hashem your God and you will listen to His voice once again the concept of Tshuva mentioned in this Parsha the Parsha, the last Parsha of the year but not the last Parsha of the Torah because this is always the Parsha read before Rosh Hashanah the Sefer Mitzvah is cotton takes this, excuse me, this Pasuk and says this is the command, this is the mitzvah's assay that one needs to do tshuva 
the positive mitzvah, the obligation to do tshuva, is from this pasuk. And if someone does not do tshuva, does not repent, God forbid, then he is transgressing this mitzvah. Others are, others also interpret this verse, saying that ultimately, this pasuk is telling us ultimately every Jew will repent. Not necessarily is it a commandment, is it a mitzvah that you must, but ultimately, bottom line, everybody will. And there's some opinions that Minchus Chinuch brings down that tshuva is not even a mitzvah. But this debate ultimately gives us a clearer picture to the two aspects of tshuva. Chassidus explains the neshama is similar to the body. The body is made up of 613. What 613? Ramach Evara Gida. 248 organs and the, 600, the 365 sinews. Spiritually, the Nishama as well has the 613 limbs or faculties. And it corresponds, each one corresponds with another mitzvah. By not fulfilling, by being deficient with any given mitzvah, then the neshama is lacking that limb in his soul, in his neshama. If you want to envision a neshama as like an angel with wings, he's missing a few feathers. You ruffle the feather. <laughs> Shuvah, though, repentance, has the ability to repair the limbs of the soul. Because the desire to reconnect to God, when a person expresses himself doing tshuva, this comes from the very essence of the soul. the source from which the individual limbs of the soul are extended. So Tshuva draws new life into these limbs and restoring them to proper health. So now we understand the opinion that says Tshuva is not a mitzvah. It's feelings that stem from the depth of your heart. And they express the essence of your soul. This must come from within. When you act just out of duty, you're not expressing your most natural self. So therefore the Taylor can't give us a command. You must do tshuva. You must repent. Because it's got to be done natural. It can't be done by an outside recommendation. But according to one opinion, since only a tshuva is motivated by your free choices, so it's understood that it stems from the purest essence of the soul. Bottom line, tshuva is a mitzvah. The goal of tshuva is not only to regret the past and have a burning desire to return to the God, But the practical observances of what God commands us, this brings about what the future has in store. Not available. I'll have her call you if she can. She's not she's sleeping. Hello? Yeah. 
I'm in the middle of giving a shir. I'll call you right back. But after 10. Yeah, yeah, after 10, I'll call you back. Okay. Now, the problem is, I didn't read the story today, so I don't remember it exactly. I don't remember who it was with. It ended up in a town for Rosh Hashanah, for Yom Kippur, for Yom Kippur. He ended up in a town for Yom Kippur, there was no minion. And look as they would, it was a chassid, I believe. Search as they would, they could only find nine people. Finally, he asked, there has to be a tenth person here. I said, the tenth person, believe it or not, is the squire. The squire is Jewish. But he is so far removed from Judaism and Rahman al Islam. So I'll go get him. And the Chassid went and he knocked on the door and he told him, We need you for the tenth one for the minion. I don't remember the sequence of the story, if he came right away, if he came later, if he came for Nila only. And he went to the Arankadish, the Holy Ark, he opened the Ark. And he put his head inside the Ark and was crying, and crying and bawling. And he stood as such throughout the entire Nila. At the end of Nila he fell silent. And they realized that he was no longer alive. This is the power of prayer. This is the power of tshuva. That this fellow, with his head in the holy ark, brought himself. <laughs> Sometimes we tell the baby to just let the baby cry. The baby cries itself to sleep. This one cried himself to death. <laughs> Literally, physically. But because of that, his soul went to the highest possible places that a soul could ever reach. The second day of Rosh Hashanah, Tafshin Dalid. Tafshin Dalid would be 44. The previous Rebbe told as follows. He said, 50 years ago, Tristav Reish Nundalit, I went into the Rebbe, Rebbe Rashab at the time, on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, before evening. Before the Rebbe said the Maimah. Certain times I used to go into the room. So the Rebbe told me, Chaparain. Chaparain. Seize the moment, as we call it. To utilize this time. You have another 22 minutes. It was 22 minutes for Shkia when the Fidigab was standing in front of the Rashab. You have 22 more minutes of Rosh Hashanah. Chaparain. Use every minute. Before that, Fidigab said, it was recognizable how to, it was understandable how to explain this. In the name of the Rebbe Rashab, the Rebbe Rashab said that the two, 20, two sets of 24 hours, the two Mesla S, as they call them, of Rosh Hashanah, 
we need to ask and to cause and to affect Midas Tevis. The Rebbe explains, the Rebbe is telling this right before Hashanah, we have several minutes to Shkia. There's a few minutes left to Shkia. We need to chaparain. To use out all these in Yonim. And especially when it comes to Midas Tevis. Chaparain, whatever comes to your hand. Whatever mitzvah falls into your hands, chaparain, says the Rebbe. Do it. Right after Maidiv, the first night of Yamtiv, we turn to one another and we say, Gut Yamtiv, the Shana Teva, Tekosev, Sechosim. Gut Yamtiv, be a good year, you should be inscribed and you should be sealed. Truth is, we come after Maidiv, the first night, we're a little broken. The meaning of the Fidik Rebbe, of all the Rabbeim, first night of Mayan Rosh Hashanah, they davened very long with bitter tears. Still in all, the first thing they did after Yom Tif is to tie themselves to benefit the benefit of the fellow Jew. Wishing them they should have a Ksiv This is also the Havas Yisrael that comes from the ultimate foundations of the Tehidus of Hashem Tev. We know that Hashem Tev said sometimes the Neshama comes into this world for 70-80 years. It's worth for the Neshama to come down to leave the glory and the holiness and the shine and the rays of God which it basks up in heaven, it's worth him for, to leave it just to do a Jew, a fellow Jew, a chesed, a kindness. And this we see by saying the first night Rosh Hashanah, Shana Tevet the Kasev Sechasim. Now, truth to be told, it's a very special night. It's a very special night because we come to God and we ask Him. We begin; these are the first prayers, asking of God. To give us and bless us with a new year. But are we safe? 
Are we covered? Did we pray well enough? Did we do what we need to do? Are we in the place we need to be? Now the fact is, the fact is, that in order for someone to be prosecuted, we need witnesses, kosher witnesses. The Almighty created the heaven and the earth. He created the sun and the moon. The sun and the moon were told they will be perpetual. There were trees that were created that have been cut down. There were animals that were created that became extinct. The sun and the moon are perpetual. Hence the sun and the moon see and know all our misconducts that we do either by day or by night. Because they're there, they see it. So they're called to testify now. Tonight is the first night of Rosh Hashanah. The Jew is begging for forgiveness, begging for a good year. And we call upon, we'd like to call upon the sun and the moon. Come testify. Come show and tell this Jew why he doesn't deserve what he's asking for. How he misbehaved, how he acted wrongly throughout the year. So go look for the sun. It's night time. He's not here. It's Rosh Hashanah, it's the first day of the month. Guess who else is not here? The moon. The Levana is also just starting to come about. So there's no Levana, there's no Shemesh, there's no sun, there's no moon. There's no one to testify against us. Hence, we are granted what we ask for. We are granted what we plead for. We are answered in our prayers. Because there's no one standing up to prosecute against us. Mitzvah Yeim B'Shefer Mitzvah of the day is Shefer. One needs to hear minimum of 30 blasts. Malchius, Zechrenus, and Shefres. The three expressions brought down on the Tera, each one representing ten blasts. Hence the thirty added, the Chachom added another seventy, and therefore we need to hear one hundred blasts on Rosh Hashanah each day. Just for the record, there is no such thing as Yom Tavsheni Shagolis in Rosh Hashanah. In Israel, there's two days of Rosh Hashanah as well. And the reason, of course, being because the reason that Rosh Chedesh was established by these sages, sometimes one day and sometimes two days, because we did not know exactly when the moon was going to start to be born. So therefore they left it at two different days, sometimes it's a two-day Rosh Chedesh and there's one-day Rosh Chedesh. However, when it comes to... I am just finishing a year by 10 o'clock, I call you back 10... Are we in good shape? Are we bad shape? Okay. Okay, wonderful. Happy? Good. Great. Okay, thanks, bye. Thank you, bye. Therefore, we have two days of Rosh Chedesh, because in case the first one was, it wasn't. 
if the first one was, then we didn't have to make the bracha the second day, but we do it anyway. It's no calamities. When it comes to Rosh Hashanah, though, in case the first day was not really Rosh Chedesh, and the second day needs to be Rosh Hashanah, we can't risk that. And therefore we need to have both days as Rosh Hashanah, and they're considered what's called the Yema Richter. One long day. They come on two days of a calendar. They are two different Meslas. Candle lighting for the first day is before Yom Tov, and candle lighting for the second day is after the first day finishes. Excuse me, but still in all, they are considered one day. But the Shefer needs to be sounded both. <laughs> one needs to hear the Shefer on both days. There's a Mishnah Masech to Rosh Hashanah, if you keep in score at home. Peri Dalet Mishnah Aleph. Yem Tev Shorosh Hashanah Shechaliz B'Shabbos B'Migdash Ayotekin Avalei B'Medina. On Yom Tev Rosh Hashanah came out on Shabbos, they blew the Shefer in the Beis HaMikdash, but not outside. What does that have to do with us? We learn that Mishnah, what does that teach us in our daily life? The Mitzvah Shefer Rosh Hashanah its idea is tshuva. Repentance from all we did the entire year. The Rambam says, is a hint. Where is it hinted? It says, Uru Awaken sleepy slumber from your slumber. And those who are totally immersed in their sleep, wake up from your... So one is wake up from your sleep, next wake up from your slumber. Search, do soul searching in your works and your actions and repent. Look deep into your souls and improve your ways from all that you have strayed. And each one of you leave the bad path and your thoughts which are not good. Repentances are the Maisa Adam each year. And all the things that the person fell into by accident and ended up sinning. And these things therefore need tshuva that year. This way we can explain the Mishnah. People were used to being doing things, worldly things. So their tshuva is also in a worldly way. And this is therefore called Rosh Hashanah of Mehachel, weekdays. Simple. Why? Because the tshuva of Rosh Hashanah of most people is in Yanichel. Black and white situations. So Tkiyah Shefer is also called B'Medina. Medina referring to the world at large. They're not shaykh, they're not connected necessarily with holiness. However, sages, Tamid HaChachamim, all they do is learn Tehidah and do mitzvahs. Therefore, the Talmud Chachim's main day is Shabbos. He's called Shabbos, according to the Zayar. When Rosh Hashanah comes out on Shabbos by a Talmud Chachim, he doesn't have anything to do with the worldly matters. Therefore, they also don't blow Bimedina. Because they have nothing to do there. Only in the Migdash, where everything is holy, where everything is Kedusha by them, because they are so involved with the study of Tera and Mitzvahs. However, we can make a mistake sometimes. And we think to ourselves, if that being the situation, 
then they don't have to do any kind of mitzvahs of tshuva. They don't have to have the shefer blow. They don't have to have any of this. They're pure. They're so involved on the worldly basis, on an annual basis, with Teda and Aveda. What are they doing tshuva for? There's no room for sin. There's no room for error. That case. Therefore, the Mishnah tells us, Bemigdash, how you taken. They also need to have the tkiyas of teshuva. On what they had the shortcomings in their service to Hashem in the base Hamigdash, within their own sanctuary, with their Talmud Chokhem. What was Misha's greatness of, hum- of humbleness? How was he so humble? What was the basis of his humility? The basis of Amesha and his humility was he says that someone else had the soul and the shaman I have. If someone else had the tools to do the spirituality the way I have, they would achieve much more than I do. Mesha knew he was what he was. Mesha was very quite, very well aware that he was the only human being that went 40 days, 40 nights, 3 times, with no eating and no drinking, and brought down the tail and spoke to God. But, Mesha said, I might be something special, because I have a special soul. Had someone else had my special soul, they would be much, much better than I am. They would have done better than I and we find the same thing also in the Chunyi Ben He would daven that no takola, no, no mishap should happen through him. There are times where people can interpret something, translate something, or even give a psak halacha that's not correct. That being done is a tremendous, tremendous sin and very, very scary. And for this he would pray that he should never, God forbid, fall into. Yechim and Zaka used to cry. And you know what direction they're taking me. So both of you keeping score at home and the Gemara Masech is Brachis Chavches Hamid Beis, 28, side 2. Where both these people, Rabbi Nechuni Ben Akana, Rabbi Yechelem Ben Zakai, come up with these expressions. And therefore it's imperative on each and every one of us. To see to it, as Rosh Hashanah is upon us, to see to it that we do tshuva. And that we repent with a full heart. That we repent in a way that God accepts it, and not only accepts it, but the sins, the faults, all become merits. It's as if these were done mitzvahs. And we elevate it to such a way, as we said now, since we made brachas before, we make a bracha achreina now. We elevate it to such a level that it should be the bracha achreina of the golos. And many times the Rebbe benched our nation, the Rebbe benched us now as well, with all the letters of the olive base, Ava and Bracha and Duda and everything else, each letter representing a bracha. And may this bracha come into fruition. To each and every one of us for a happy year, a, lo- a healthy year, a prosperous year. And Yemaleh Hashem Kol Mishalis Sebenu, the Teva of the Bracha, the Almighty shall fulfill all that our hearts desires to good and for blessings. And we should have a Shana, Tova Mesuka. And we'll see you next year, Mirat Hashem. Hopefully in Yerushalayim, Yerakadish, with Mashiach Tzidkenu. So that we won't have to fast, so next Wednesday night year won't be so painful. Mm-hmm. Shabbat shalom to all. Kasiva.
Achasim Ateva, Shon Ateva Mesuka, and for those of our brethren and Sfardim brethren, to school the Shanim Rabot.